0: You found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Greg Rubel, really glad to see you this morning. Welcome everyone online. So good to have you. I only have one announcement and it's for the men. Next Sunday is Valentine's Day. So, you know, you you you, you got it on your calendar now, so you're all set. So take your Bibles and turn to First Thessalonians. We're gonna start in chapter two and end in chapter three. This morning, I got a message called Three Keys to Next Level Perseverance. I've titled this message like three different ways, and uh, I can't remember what I landed on, so I'm glad it's right there, you know, in in front of me. Three Keys to Next Level Perseverance. So let's, uh, we're going to read, starting in verse 17, chapter 2, and finishing in chapter 3, verse 5. Let's read. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, we could, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor uh, would be in vain. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word uh, today. Uh, so good to hear again how Paul was loving this new church in Thessalonica, and we pray as as we soak our hearts in his words to them this morning that you would speak to us and that our hearts would be good soil for these words and that they'd bear fruit in our lives uh, today. Lord, thank you that your grace is so abundant and so available. I pray it would be showered upon everyone under the hearing of my voice and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. amen. You know, I've always admired people who um, are long-distance runners. You know, I myself am a, a, a sprinter. I wanted to get the pain over as quick as possible, so I always focused on the shorter races, you know, in, uh, in my days as an, as an athlete. But, you know, people who run long distances, it just amazed me. I mean, there's people who can run 26.2 miles. Like a marathon. I mean, if you just think about that, I mean, that's just absolutely incredible. But there are other people who are even more amazing than that. They run what's called an ultra marathon. And that's where you've got like a 50-mile race or a 100-mile race or a race that goes over 1,000 miles over many days or a race that's run in 24 hours and you can see how far you can run. The guy that runs the farthest wins the race so these ultra marathoners they have all kinds of things that they have to endure you know things in their body and their will and their and their emotions they they have uh, digestive problems so like their digestive system shuts down after a while and uh, when uh, when you run these long races you get hungry but and they provide food but then you can't do anything with it so you just throw it up or you, uh, you have these problems that cause blurred vision in some of these races. So by the end of a long-distance ultramarathon, some of these runners can't even see anything. And, and they have to battle sleepiness when they're running. And then even hallucinations. So there's all this stuff going on to keep them from getting to the finish line. And they say about 50% of the runners who are at the starting line don't get to see the finish line of an ultra marathon. Well, as believers, we are certainly in a race. It's a different kind of race than an ultra marathon, but it is a lot longer than an ultra marathon. Uh, for most people. And it not only impacts our bodies, it also does our emotions and our will and, and our hearts. So Paul, his letter here, these, these words, is, is going to bring out some keys for us to persevere so that we can say like he said in First Timothy 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. That's our goal. So the first key is working through the warfare. So in verses 17 and 18, Paul is speaking about his longing to see his his new spiritual children there in the church in Thessalonica. He was torn away from them, he says. As far as we know, uh, his visit to them the first time lasted about three weeks. We get that from Acts chapter 17. And so he had to leave after that to escape persecution. You know, it doesn't take very long for the Spirit to create a really strong bond between people who are in the Lord. I mean, it can happen in such a short time, your heart gets tied up with other believers in this strong bond that really runs deeper than the bonds in your own family. It's absolutely amazing. And that's what Paul is feeling here. So these are truly his children, remember? Remember? how he he said earlier in this chapter that he was like a mother to them, treating them like a a nursing child, and he was like a father to them, exhorting them and teaching them, cheering cheering them on. So you can imagine how Paul feels knowing that this church is suffering and wondering how they're getting along in in their race as a believer. He says, again and again, I tried to get to you face to face. But Satan hindered us. So what he's talking about there is spiritual warfare. And if we're going to get to this next level perseverance, if we're going to keep going, we're going to have to learn to work through spiritual warfare that comes in our lives. Now somehow Paul recognized that it was Satan that was hindering him from going back to Thessalonica. Recognizing warfare is the hardest part of working through it. It's, it's the hardest part. How do you know when you've come up on Satan's radar and you are a target of his attacks? How, how do you know? Well, Satan, he is a, a cunning adversary. And his efforts to slow us down and trip us up and get us to, to give up, they're not going to come at us from a frontal attack, you know, like a, from like a Darth Vader kind of a guy. You know, he, he's, he is not like that. Uh, we can know how Satan works by how the Bible describes him, the names that he is given. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, it says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So the warfare that can happen in our lives can come from well-meaning people with well-meaning words. But if what they're saying to us is not fueling our perseverance... They're working for the enemy, and they may not even know it. That reminded me of of Peter. You know, remember when Peter said to Jesus, you know, that they would fight to keep him from being arrested and killed. And Jesus said back to him, get behind me, Satan. Now, I'm sure Peter was just being a well-meaning friend, you know, showing love to Jesus. But... He didn't know he was working for the enemy. So when you know what God wants you to do in your life, when you've got that down, and people come come along who don't have the faith that you have about that, they'll try to talk you out of doing it from a sense of reason and and from a sense of caring. They will bring up the what ifs. What if this happens if you do this? Instead of joining you in the even ifs this happens, I'm going to do it. So Satan will try to use that to try to stop you. Fear is a huge motivator for him to keep us from persevering. It, it really is a tricky business when it comes to that. Satan is also known as the father of lies. And so he, one of his strategies is to get us to believe things about God that aren't true and to get us to believe things about ourselves that are not true. So he tells us that God isn't who he says he is. When, when bad things happen to us or when bad things happen to people that we love or people that we would say, oh, those are good people, the father of lies floats the lie. Now, how could God be good and all-powerful and let that happen to that person or to you? He'll float the lie. When you're clinging to the promise that God has given you and then something happens that make it seem impossible for that promise to come true, Satan will float the lie. Maybe God isn't as faithful as you think he is. Maybe you got that promise wrong. He floats the lie. When you're hurting and God seems distant or like he doesn't care or like he's not even there, Satan comes along and he says, maybe God doesn't care about you like you think he does. Maybe uh, he's not even there. He's the father of lies. He wants us to believe things about God that are not true. Then he comes along and he speaks lies about us. When we mess up, when we make a mistake, when we fall down, when we jump back into the pit God rescued us out of, the father of lies comes along and he speaks the lie. Maybe you're not really saved. You know, you just keep sinning. You're really not worth the air that you're breathing. The father of lies speaks that lie over us. When you see the glorious life that other people are living and you compare that to your boring, hard, unexciting life, the father of lies comes along and he speaks the lie, God's holding out on you. Look at all the fun that can be had on another way of doing life. Or he'll say something like, compared to them, you're nothing. It's just lies. Now, Satan's two big weapons that he uses in warfare is fear and shame. And if he can get us living out of fear and shame, then he's got us where he wants us, because our eyes are no longer on God, who loves us, and died so that we could have life with him. Our eyes are on ourselves, and he'll have us hiding away for self-preservation or because of self-loathing, right where Satan wants us. He's the father of lies. He is also the ruler of an army of demon angels that are at his disposal. Now, the unbelieving world can be possessed by evil spirits, and um, Satan does that to blind people, to keep them from hearing the gospel and recognizing Who Jesus is. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 says. Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. So they can't see the true light of Jesus. So that's part of his strategy. For believers. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We're possessed by God. When we believe. We're given him in our lives. And so there's no room for the other team. If you're a believer inside of you. So. Demon possession for a believer can't happen, but demon oppression can, where they come and dog you, they hound you, and they use your life circumstances to try to try to cause you to look down, sit down, and stay down. And that starts with uh, disappointments in our life. You know what we're hoping for. Uh, it it doesn 't come to pass and we feel that in our in our hearts, and then those disappointments they can, they can lead to discouragements and discouragement you know that that pushes back on you when you sit down because of the disappointment, then discouragement just pushes back on you and, and keeps you from wanting to get back up and, and keep going and try again. and then comes disillusionment where you lose the reason for getting back up in the first place or your reason for living. Or working. Or going to church. You know, the the words go through your mind. What's the use? Life is hard. Where is God? And that sometimes can lead to depression. Where our hearts just get so weighed down with the things of life. And we are stuck in a darkness. And everything seems hard. Feels like we're trying to swim in the mud And you find yourself there when you're there in a very difficult place to live. Now, for some people, all of these experiences bring on despair and they take their own life because they can't see a way out. And for some people, depression becomes a disease in in their minds and they need medical help to get cured of that disease. You know, we we go to the doctor for all other kinds of diseases. Depression is a disease. And it can be cured. For all of these people, I have no doubt that at some level, there's a demon oppression happening somewhere in, in our lives. When all of these things happen. They might cause those things, but they certainly use those things to try to get us down. Now, I don't believe myself that I have ever been depressed in a clinical sense but I certainly know I have struggled with depression you know disappointments and discouragements are uh, when you're in, in church planting work are they're part of the thing I mean it's like it happens every week and Satan has used that again and again in, in my life to try and hinder me. You know, disillusionment comes along and, you know, it's like I I quit this job more often than I'd like to admit. But the thing is, this is more than a job for me. This is a calling. And so Satan works to keep me sitting down. And I'm still slow at recognizing his, his involvement, this warfare that comes in our lives. But, you know, when all of life is colored by darkness, when you feel like you're a failure in every place you look in your life, when you're really not, chances are you're, you're in the warfare. Because you're believing lies. Recognizing it is 90% of the battle. Because when we don't know that we're fighting Satan, then we're just going to fight on our own with all these feelings in our hearts and struggle to get our head above water. But when we can recognize that it's him, we run to Jesus and we tell him, hey, this battle is too big for me. This is a battle that belongs to you. And when you do that, the clouds lift the weight goes away, the light returns as you take another step on this path that God has given you to walk. James 4.7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So Jesus has defeated the devil. he is a defeated foe. And when one of his children comes running to him and says, You fight this battle for me. Satan will run the other direction. He will leave. Now, I want to say this, that just because the devil leaves doesn't necessarily mean that depression leaves. It might stick around. And if you're stuck in that, there's help for that. Um, But, you know, shame keeps us hiding in the dark. And that's just where the devil wants you. But when you bring your life into the light of someone else who can speak truth to you, who can tell you about Jesus' love, show you Jesus' love. you know, Clear up the confusion. The devil is the author of confusion in your life. If, he can, if they can clear up the confusion, they will remind you of your name, of who you are in the Lord. When you can do that, healing is on the way. And I will say this too, medicine is also there To help us seek God's healing. We take it for every other kind of disease when it's available to us. And so taking medicine for depression does not make you weak. It makes you wise. So don't let that stigma keep you away from getting help. Working through the warfare is the key to being able to press on. uh, To persevere on the next level. When we're doing God's will... We're going to experience this warfare. So we got to learn to recognize it. Fear, shame, oppression hindering us again and again. We need to run to Jesus. The battle belongs to the Lord. And the devil will flee from us. In verses 19 to 20, Paul writes about another key. It's being motivated by the meeting. So he goes into assurances mode here with the Thessalonians. He wants to assure them of how special they are to him um, because he had to leave so quickly and he didn't want them to feel like he didn't care about them. And so he brings up the day of Jesus' return and how in that moment when he sees Jesus face to face, the only thing he's going to have to point to for his life is his spiritual children. That's how important the Thessalonians are to him. Now, Paul uses a word there at the end of 19. It's a Greek word, perosia. And that word means coming. Jesus coming. Now they use that word in other other parts of the New Testament, um, but it's a word that, that talks that would be used to describe the coming of a king to a city. And so it would have been a, an event. You know something where you know they're doing parades in the streets and they're having receptions to welcome the king, and um, it's the kind of kind of event that they make commemorative coins out of, which they did for Nero when he came to a city, and so that's the kind of thing Perosia par- describes. It's an event. Well, Jesus coming to the world is a world-changing event, but instead of us giving him awards. He is going to be having meetings with every single person that ever lived. They will stand before him and they will receive from him what they deserve from how they lived their life. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, For we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So Paul, he's saying here, guys, you are all I've got. You know, when I'm standing there in the presence of Jesus, when he comes and I see him face to face, you are what I'll boast in. You are the reason I will have joy before Jesus. You, your success as a church, that's where my hope is. Now, think think of that. I mean, just, just think of that. I mean, think of the resume that Paul's got. I mean, think of all the messages he preached and all the suffering he endured and all the faith that he exercised and all the places that were in the dark and he brought the light of the gospel and he's saying, none of that is going to come up when I stand before Jesus. I'm keeping my resume in my pocket. I'm just going to show, show Jesus you guys. Wow. That is amazing. You know, when it comes to these events, at the end the end-time events. There's differing opinions about when things are going to go down and about how they're going to go down. But one thing that everyone agrees on is the parousia of Jesus. Jesus is coming back. Everybody agrees on that. They just don't know when, and they just don't know exactly how. So he's coming back in bodily form, and when he does, there's going to be a time for each one of us to stand before him and present to him our life and what we did with the life that he gave us. Everyone who ever lives is going to have this meeting. Everyone. Now, he describes, Jesus describes the day in Matthew 25, 31 to 33. He said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And so then he goes on and he tells the sheep, you get to go to heaven because you served me while you were here on earth during your lifetime by loving people that most people ignore, that people stay away from. And the sheep can't understand it. They can't understand how that could be true, how how they served. And when did we do this to you, Jesus? When did we serve you? And Jesus reassures them, since you... Loved the down and outers, the people that were on the fringes of life. It was just like you were loving me. Enter your master's rest. Then the goats, he's going to say, they missed heaven. They missed heaven because they missed him here on earth. The goats give a defense. Where did we miss you? We didn't, you know, we never saw you. If we, if we would have seen you, we would have served you. But Jesus tells them, be, since your hearts didn't lead you to people who were hurting and suffering, that's a sign that you really didn't believe in me. And so the sheep, the sheep can't believe they get to go to heaven. And the goats can't believe they aren't. In Matthew 721 to 23, Jesus describes more about this conversation. It happens on this day. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does, the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So when we, when we bring all, all this together, we can see that on the day of our meeting with Jesus, very simply, two things will matter. Did we know him and did we serve him by loving others? See, knowing him transforms our serving from serving ourselves to serving him. It changes everything when we know him. Now Paul's heart heart toward the Thessalonians reveals his love for Jesus by wanting to present them to him. So when he gets to meet him, it's going to be all about the Thessalonians and how special they were. So this meeting, it's coming. It It is coming for us. Remember how your waiting for Jesus tells you about your worship of Jesus? You know, so if you just can't wait to see him, if you can't wait to hear his voice and, and feel his embrace, then that's a really good sign that you are serving him every day, that you're following him every day, if you can't wait to see him. I mean, and that's what makes this meeting so motivating to keep going. In, in, in this race that we're in, to reach one more for Him, to, to to teach one more about how Jesus saves and sanctifies, you know, dressing your spiritual children in holiness and righteousness, people called the church. So keeping that meeting in front of you, out in that future meeting, keeping the future meeting in your mind, helps you in the in the present meetings to keep going with others. Not to fill out your resume for Jesus, but to prepare for him a gift of the people he brought into your life that you led to the Lord, that you taught about the Lord. So chapter 3, it begins with five verses that describe some threats to our perseverance. Another key to this persevering on the next level is being to deal with the dangers that that we will run into. So Paul's longing is to know how this new church is doing. And it led him, he couldn't stand it any longer, so he sent Timothy to go find out. He says, I sent Timothy to find out how, how you were doing. He says, I was, I was willing to be left alone in Athens. And so that's the first danger. Isolation. Being by yourself. You know, God said in the garden, when everything was perfect, that it was not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. So he created, um, he, he invented the the, uh, the marriage relationship, you know, which is 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 the is the best place or one of the best places to be known, to be connected on an on an intimate level. He also thought of the church, where believers can believe together. Alone, we are vulnerable to the enemy's attack. Alone, we are captive to our own thoughts and our own feelings. Alone, we can be overwhelmed by our fears and our failures. God knows that it's not good for us to be alone. And the church is how we deal with this danger. The church is to be connected to other people. You know, so, so you're in a place where you are You are known by others, and you know them. You're you're in a place where you're able to love other people and receive love from them, to serve them and be served, to give and receive truth, to celebrate and be celebrated. It's a community of believers called the church. And, and, you know, we're in a pandemic and our lives for coming up on a year now has been staying away from each other. So ask yourself this question on a scale of one to ten, a connectedness scale, one being I'm isolated, ten being I'm fully connected. Where are you on that scale? You know, when you think about your life, what's your level of connectedness? The answer to moving up the scale is the church. It is the church So the church Keeps us from being isolated And alone If we we'll work at being connected Purpose of Timothy's visit Wasn't just to find out How the church was doing And bring the news back to Paul He, he went there with a specific purpose To establish And exhort them in their faith And so another danger To persevering is to not be established and to not be encouraged in your faith. So the world that we live in is full of spiritual teaching. And it is readily available on YouTube. You can go and you can listen to a Hindu guru. You can go find a Buddhist guy. You can go find a Mormon You can go find a Jehovah's Witness. You can go find the prosperity gospel. Our world is full of spiritual teaching, full of ideas about gods and other gods, about how to live a spiritual life, about how to grow in your spiritual life, and and so on. And you know, the Thessalonians, they lived in a very similar kind of society. The people in their church were former Jews. You know, I think 18 months before this letter was written, They were Jews. Eighteen months before this letter was written, there was Greeks that were worshiping other gods. That's who's in this church. And they needed to learn some things. They needed to learn about their God. Paul had just three weeks with them the first time he was there, so there's still a lot to learn. They needed to know what they believed. They needed to know why they believed it, and they needed to know how to walk in that belief. All of those things. Not knowing those things is a danger to our perseverance. How well do you know what you believe? And do you know why you believe it? You know, years ago, Pastor Randy, back at Brookville Road, when we started attending there, I think that was 1997, maybe, um, he taught two classes. One was called Know What You Believe, and one was called Know Why You Believe. And there's two books by those titles, by the author Paul Little, which were the contents for those two classes. Now, the first book, Know What You Believe, you can actually go to our website and look under the About menu and you can find what we believe there. And that's basically the contents of the first book. You know, there's information there about about what we believe, believe about God and Jesus and man and sin and the Bible. End times. All of those things come under the heading, know what you believe. The know why book is 12 chapters of questions that they're common that people ask. Like, is the Bible really reliable? Or, you know, is Jesus God? Why is there suffering in the world? You know, all of these things, common questions that pop up. It's really all basic stuff that we should know as a Christian. Because what happens when we know it is it strengthens our foundation. It strengthens our faith. And without a strong faith, you won't walk out these beliefs. If you don't know what you believe and know why you believe it, you won't go share it with somebody else. And you will continue to be a shallow Christian And you'll be a target for the enemy. So that's the danger. How do you get established and how do you get exhorted in the faith? The church. (laughs) The church. Immerse yourself in the church. Learn about what we believe. Learn why we believe it. And get together with some others to learn how to walk in it. It's God's answer for dealing with the dangers and making it all the way home. We do this together. And the enemy is using the pandemic to keep us from being together. That's what I think anyway. (laughs) The third danger that comes up are trials. Paul calls them afflictions here in, in the word. Uh, Timothy was to establish and encourage them so none of them would move away because of the suffering that they were enduring. And Paul told him it was coming. When he went there, there wasn't suffering. He went and he told them, hey, because you believed in Jesus, suffering's coming. Then it came to pass, and he says, as you well know. So they are suffering. <laughs> Trials is a way, is, is, is what makes life, life hard. You know, and and, uh, none of us is exempt, you know. I don't care how good your social media life works. People usually don't put their trials on social media, you know. It's just a lie. Nobody is exempt from suffering, from afflictions. Nobody. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, we are, we are going home. We're going home, but we're going the long way home, right? <clears throat> we're in this marathon. And some, for some of us, it's an ultra marathon. And our bodies and our hearts will suffer from walking by faith and from living, living for Jesus. Enemy will attack us. The fallenness of the world, it, it doesn't know favorites you know, it'll, it'll come to our doorstep. It'll bring pain and heartache. <clears throat> you know, our sins, they are forgiven, but there's consequences sometimes to our sins that stick around, and we feel those in our relationships and in our circumstances um, because of our sins. The gospel will bring suffering uh, to our lives. All of this is trials. And God has a specific purpose in them. He uses those you know, to grow us, but they can be a danger to us if we're trying to go through them, you know, on our own. Hebrews four fifteen says this, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So Jesus, you know, the one, the one we're following, he walked our path. He he lived our life. He suffered our sufferings. He knew pain in his body. He knew pain in his emotions and in his heart. He knew that. He cried. He hungered. He got tired. He lived a homeless life without a suitcase for his clothes and no food for his next meal. He knows what that's like. He battled Satan. He was tempted. He died the most brutal death that you could die after being rejected by his own people. That's who we follow. Somebody that has, has gone through this life. D- did it perfectly. He knows us. He knows what we're going through. And he will help keep us going in this long journey home. And when we keep together, that's how we get through these trials, and that's what makes them less dangerous to our faithfulness. And then finally, Paul, he mentions there the tempter coming to tempt. He was afraid that the devil was going to come and tempt the Thessalonians, that under that that suffering that they were enduring, that that he might show them something of a way out of that, an easier road to take, which would have led them astray. So it's a real danger for, for our perseverance. You know, each year, uh, about four dozen athletes gather in Minnesota for a race called the St. Croix 40 Winter Ultra. And so runners spend good money to embark on a 40-mile ultra-marathon at night in January in Minnesota... Pulling a 30 pound sled full of supplies behind them. So, in this environment, they can literally die if they stand still for too long. And they say over 25% of the runners never see the finish line. And he said most of them drop out at mile marker 24. It's called checkpoint 24, where they get to about 10, between 10 and midnight when they show up there. And so, when a runner gets to the Checkpoint 24, they have a, a decision to make if they're going to go on to the last 16 miles. And if they are, then they need to prove that they still have the, the presence of mind and the skills to be able to survive if, in case of emergency. And so what they have to do at checkpoint 24 is they set up their bivy sack, this body-shaped tent that envelops a sleeping bag. They get in their sleeping bag for 30 seconds, and then they have to get back out, pack it all up before they go the last 16 miles. Well, that sounds like the easiest part of the race, doesn't it? But it's actually the thing that causes most of them to bail. Because when you are running in sub-zero weather and your body is full of sweat, you're hungry, you're tired, and you get into that comfy, cozy sleeping bag, it takes a lot to get back out of that and keep on running. The worst thing you can do in the 40 Ultra Marathon in St. Croix is stop. And it's not too different for us. Stopping for us in our faith is a dangerous thing to do. If we are not exercising it, it is not growing. It is not staying strong. And then the tempter comes along with things that appeal to an easier road. You know, a relief from the race. Temporary pleasure that has long-term consequences. Something that's easier than believing to get through this life. Trusting in man's solutions, man's wisdom, man's abilities. Now the first time, you know, we would say it's, it's a fall. And the second time, maybe a fall. Third time, maybe a fall. But falling again and again in the same way ends up developing bad habits. (laughs) Bad habits that have us off track. And then the tempter stops coming to you because he doesn't have to tempt you anymore. Because he has you right where he wants you. Isolated. When no one knows that you've got these bad habits. And you sat down in your walk. And you're afraid to share because of the shame that you feel. And there it is. Fear and shame. That's how the enemy gets what he wants in our life. Isn't it amazing how God created us and how he made us for community? How the church is so key in us persevering in our life with God. It is the answer to dealing with all of these dangers, to keep going, doing it together. And there's this face-to-face meeting with Jesus that's coming. You know, for for all of us, it's going to be a great day and it's going to be a terrible day. We want to let it motivate us to keep going in the present. Keep going. Because we're going to see him. Offer as many people as we can as a worship offering to him. And we don't want to forget about the warfare. This reality for us who are trying to walk by faith. If it's all bad everywhere, if you're failing in every area of life, run to Jesus, resist the devil and he will flee from you.